right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible and need one, if you raise your hand, uh, we have be happy to bring you one from the back. Uh, but Ephesians 4 is where we're going. Um, as, as you're turning there, Pastor Rex and his family are at FCA camp today at Widewater Retreat Center in Liberty Center. He was there running the FCA camp from Wednesday night to this morning. So he's still there. The rest of his family is still there. There are a number of the kids from our church who are still there, and a number from a number of our families of those kids are there this morning as well. They're having their final chapel service, and they invited families to go and participate. Um, so that's where a number of our people are there today. So uh, just continue to pray for them. And after the camp, especially for the kids from our church, really pray that um, you, you're familiar with the camp high. You know, you go and you experience this. And for a week or two, you just live on this spiritual high. And then it kind of fades away. Well, let's really pray for our kids that lasting fruit would come for this. That it wouldn't just last for a week or two, but that weeks and months and years from now, they would still be seeing the fruit from what they experienced and learned this weekend. Uh, one other thing to say is uh, Brad and his announcers mentioned the Backyard Bash coming up. And I believe there are, are, are flyers around the church here. Uh, are, they, are they in the bulletin? Are there flyers in the bulletin? Did you get one? Yeah? All right, so what, what we want to challenge you guys to do is invite people from the community. Uh, so our challenge is to somebody from the community, somebody you know or maybe even don't know, give that flyer away, hand it to them and say, hey, this, our church is hosting this, you're invited, there's going to be food, fun, uh, just as a simple way to reach out to our community. So that's just a small challenge that we're posing uh, to you guys as the church. All right, and, and with all that being said, let's turn now to uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's going to be Ephesians 17 through 24 that we read. Um, and we're talking from this passage about what it means to be growing into maturity as individual Christians and as a church body. So a little over a month ago, I preached from this passage about growing into the maturity of our minds, about renewing our minds and, and really becoming like Christ in our minds. Then last week, I preached from this passage on, on the heart, how we are to be becoming like Christ in our hearts. We have a new heart of flesh, and we are to nurture that heart of flesh to stir our affections to love God more. And now this week, we're going to turn our attention to our actions or our daily lives. Remember, we said that spiritual growth should be well-rounded. It's, it's being conformed to Christ in every aspect of our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, and then in our daily lives, so that our lives should actually look something like Christ. We should actually be becoming like him on a day-to-day -day basis. So we're going to look at this passage again now and, and focus especially on what Paul says about our actions or our lives. So look at verse 17 with me, and read it with me. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. All right, notice the, first, the very first thing Paul says in verse 17 is, saying, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. 
the first thing he tells the, the church in Ephesus is that you must no longer live like the Gentiles do. In other words, right away he addresses their actions or their daily lives. Now remember, he's using Gentiles here as a, a very general way to, to describe people who don't know Christ. So he, what he's saying here right from the get-go is that you Christians in Ephesus must no longer live as the Gentile unbelievers live. Your life must be different. And after giving this initial command, Paul goes on to explain what the life of the Gentile or the unbeliever looks like. And as I've said in the previous two sermons, the first two things Paul makes note of is the condition of their minds and the condition of their hearts. Look at the rest of verse 17 and 18 with me. He says, No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So he says that the the condition of their minds is such that their minds are so darkened by sin that they're futile, that they're blind to the glory of God, that they can't see it with their minds and comprehend it. He says their hearts are hardened. And like we said last week, this means that their hearts are, are, are stony. They're calloused over so that they are not moved, stirred, or affected by the glory of God, even when it's right in front of them. So he first makes note of the condition of their hearts and of their minds. And in verse 19, after he's already made note of the condition of their hearts and minds, he goes on to describe their lives now, their actions. Look at verse 19 with me. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So he says that because of their darkness and futility of mind, because of their hardness of heart, they have now practiced these things. Their condition has led to their actions. And because of the condition of their minds and their hearts, the actions that it has led to are sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, what's interesting here is that Paul doesn't really list a bunch of specific sins they commit. He doesn't go on listing, well, they do this, 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 and this, and this. And he probably could have. But it's interesting that he just kind of throws down a blanket statement, doesn't he? Like, well, their condition leads to sensuality and just every kind of impurity. Everything you can think of, everything that's impure and unrighteous and unholy, it it leads to that. Their their condition of their minds and hearts leads to their impure actions. In other words, their condition precedes their action. Or their condition ultimately determines their actions. So remember last week when we said that our greatest problem as human beings, born into this world as sinners... Our greatest problem is not that we do bad things necessarily, although that's bad, but that our greatest problem is that we are bad in the very core of our being. 
that our minds are darkened and futile, that our hearts have been hardened against God and that they're unmoved and unaffected by his glory. And the bad things we do, the, the actions that come out of that are merely the symptoms of this great disease that is in us. Which is what Paul is saying in this passage. When he's referring to the Gentile unbelievers, he's saying that their individual sins, their impure actions, flow out of or arise from their darkened minds and hardened hearts. Their condition precedes their action. Right now in verse 20, as we we should have seen in the previous two weeks preaching through this passage. In verse 20, Paul shifts gears now from talking about the unbelieving Gentiles to now directly addressing the, the believing Ephesians. He goes from saying, don't live like the unbelieving world, but to you, Christians in the church in Ephesus, do this. Now he shifts gears to telling them what their lives must look like. And his basic message to the Christians in Ephesus is to put off the old self and to put on the new self. Or your version might read, put off your former manner of life and put on your new nature. Right now in the previous two sermons that I did, talking about the mind and the heart. We talked about how when we are converted to Christ, God renews our mind so that we can now see the glory of God. We can now comprehend it with our minds. And our minds begin to grow in our knowledge of the Lord. And we said that also when we're converted to Christ, what God does is by his spirit, he removes our heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. A heart that instead of being unmoved and unaffected by the glory of God is now sensitive to it. That is soft. That a heart that can be molded. And so in verse 24, look at that. When he says, put on the new self or the new nature... He's talking about the new mind and the new heart that we have. Remember, we have a new heart and a new mind. God treated our very nature. He treated the disease of our sinful nature. We have an entirely new nature in us. He didn't merely tell us to just stop doing bad things. He didn't merely just treat our symptoms or or put a band-aid on us. He doesn't merely tell us to just change our ways. But he treats the disease of our minds and our hearts. He renews our minds, renews our hearts, gives us an entirely new nature. And now that he's given us a new nature, it's then that he tells us, okay, now change your ways, change your actions. Our old nature, like Paul said in verses 17 through 19. Our old nature is one of death, decay, blindness, hardness. But if you look at the end of verse 24 with me, he says the new self or the new nature is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
So whereas our old sinful nature is one of death, decay, blindness, hardness, our new nature is one of true righteousness and holiness created after the likeness of God. Through his Holy Spirit in us, we have the very nature of God in us. Not to say that we are gods or, or become God, but that his Spirit, God himself, is in us. And in and through him, we have God's very nature of righteousness and holiness in us. This is the new nature that Paul is talking about. And as we said a little bit ago about the Gentile unbelievers when we said that their condition precedes their action, it's the same thing for us as believers with our new nature now. So just as the sensual and impure actions of the Gentile unbelievers flow out of their darkened minds and hardened hearts, so will righteous and holy actions flow out of our enlightened mind and softened hearts. Our nature precedes or determines our action. Our minds and our hearts are the fountainhead of our lives. Whatever is in our minds and our hearts will ultimately end up coming out in our hands, coming out of our mouths. So if our hearts and our minds have been renewed in true righteousness and holiness, then what must our lives look like? And our actions will surely follow, and they must surely follow. The gospel touches every part of our being. The gospel, the good news about Christ's finished work on the cross, touches every part of us, from our minds to our hearts to our daily lives, so that there's no part of us that is not touched and affected by the gospel. And the whole person is now being renewed and conformed to the image of Christ. And as we said in in the first sermon I spoke back in June, this is what spiritual growth is. It's letting the gospel come and invade every part of our lives. Letting it touch every part of us so that every part of us is being renewed and conformed to the image of Christ. And, And as we do this, as we seek to walk in newness and to be conformed to Christ, we must remember that we have been made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Just think about that for a second and let that truth fall on you. Let it sink in. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. So think of all those sinful, wicked things you've done in the past. Think of those things that you hate to even think about because you hate the the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment that you feel just in thinking about that. Think about that. Just feel the weight of your own sinfulness. 
Right? It's not a pleasant thing to do. But I told the kids at camp this past week when I was talking to them that until we feel the weight of our own sinfulness, we will not be able to recognize or appreciate what Christ has done. Until you know just how bad the bad news is, you can't appreciate the good news fully. Right, so feel the weight of your own sinfulness. Feel the weight of all the things you've done. Now think about the reality of all those sins being paid for in full at the cross of Christ. That all your sin has been forgiven so that if you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for you, but only everlasting joy in knowing God. And not only has your sin been forgiven, but God has made you into a new creation. Old you is gone. The old you that did all those things, he's gone. She's gone. You've been crucified with Christ, died with him, buried with him, raised to new life with him in this life here and now. In the life you now live on this earth, you live by faith in the Son of God who loves you and gave himself for you. You are a new creation. You are new. You have been made new by Christ through the gospel. So in verse 24, when Paul tells us to put on the new self or the new nature, I think he's putting everything together here now. And he's talking about the whole person. You've been made a new creation. You are new in Christ. And since you've been made new in Christ now, then live new. Be, be new. Right? You've been made new, therefore be new. Jonathan Edwards puts it well when he says this. He says, They that are truly converted are new men, new creatures, new not only within, but without. They are sanctified throughout, in spirit, soul, and body. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. They have new hearts, new eyes, new ears, new tongues, new hands, new feet. A new conversation and practice. And they walk in newness of life and continue to do so to the end of life. I love how he goes on there about we have been made new, sanctified or made clean throughout everything within and without. And I love how he says... All things are become new. We have a new heart, new eyes, new ears, new tongues, new hands, new feet, new conversation, new practice, newness in every aspect of life. And we continue in this until the day we die. We have been made new in every way. We are new creations in Christ. There's no part of us that the gospel does not touch. There's no part of us that... Christ doesn't come in and make new. There's no part of us that he, through his spirit in us, is not making us like Christ. The gospel touches every part of us. We have new minds, new hearts, new eyes, new tongues, new hands, new feet. 
And because we have been made new, we are to live new. In fact, if I were to summarize Paul's argument in this passage here, I would summarize it with this sentence. You've been made new, therefore live new. You've been made new, therefore live new. And we must be careful not to flip these. We must, is, Paul's not saying that, he doesn't say, live new, change your life, so that you can be made new. He says, you've been made new, now therefore live out of that newness and let your life be transformed. Right, do you get the difference? One is work salvation, saying that if we live new enough, God will make us new. The other one says, God by his grace through Christ makes us new. And therefore, out of that newness, we are to now live newly. We are to live out the transformation that God has wrought in us. Live out the transformation that we have undergone. Imagine a caterpillar going into a chrysalis. So just think of the caterpillar before it goes into that. Think of the way it crawls on the ground. Uh, it's long, slender body. It's slow. It can't really do anything. Uh, eats leaves. Think of whatever you can think of about a caterpillar, the way it behaves. Now imagine that caterpillar going into its chrysalis and then emerging as a new creature, emerging as a butterfly. As a new creature... It has a new body. Its caterpillar body is gone. It's got new eyes, new legs. It's got new feet, new wings, new abilities to fly, a new diet, new behaviors to go with it. Now let's say that this butterfly, despite being a new creature with a new self and new nature, continues to live like a caterpillar. It continues to crawl on the ground. It keeps eating leaves and just doing the things that caterpillars do. Who's ever seen that happen? You ever seen a, a, cat, a butterfly just crawling around like a caterpillar? Probably not, because that's absurd. Butterflies live like butterflies. Why do butterflies live like butterflies? Because they're butterflies. Caterpillars live like caterpillars. Why? Because they're caterpillars. Right? When a butterfly comes out of that chrysalis as a new creation, as a butterfly, it can't help but live like a butterfly. It's simply living out the transformation that has been wrought in it. It's living out the transformation that it's undergone. It's been made new, therefore it lives new. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. We have a new nature, a new self. And as a new creation with a new nature and a new self, we must not and we cannot go on living according to our old nature. We must live out the transformation that God has wrought in us. We have been made new, therefore we must live new.
Now, what does it look like for us to put on our new selves and to live according to this new nature? That's what Paul commands us to do in verse 24. Put on your new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off your old self, put on your new self. But what might this look like? What kind of actions now and behaviors are characteristic of this new life we've been given in Christ? Paul answers that in verses 25 through 32. Verses 17 through 24 are kind of the general command where he says, You've been made new, therefore live new. Now in verse 25, he's going to get into very specific, tangible ways that we live out newness in Christ. And what's interesting about this passage is how Paul organizes all of these commands. So, before I read through it, let me just explain. What he's going to do is he give, first gives a negative command, and he follows that with a positive command. So he'll first tell you the don't, don't do this, don't act like this. And then he'll give you the do, do this, behave like this instead. And by doing that, he, he provides a contrast between the old self, the old nature, and the ways that go with it, and the new nature, and the ways that go with that. Look at verse 25 with me. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. All right, so what's the don't there? Don't lie. Don't speak falsehood, but speak truth. All right, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, this is a tricky one here, but what he's saying is he's saying don't hold on to sinful anger towards others, but put away your anger and your animosity so that you're no longer holding on to it. And I don't think he's necessarily condemning all anger as sin. He's saying let go of sinful anger and hostility and animosity towards others. Don't hold on to it, but put away with it. Be done with sinful anger towards others. All right, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. All right, so what's the don't there? Don't, don't steal. Pretty simple. So don't steal, but do work hard and honestly And then be generous. Don't steal, but work hard. Work honestly. Be generous. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but... Speak in such a way that it gives grace to those who hear. Don't corrupt others with their talk, but build others up with grace with the words of our mouths. And then verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So don't be filled with bitterness, anger, wrath, malice. 
But he says, be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us. So notice from all those commands how Paul is drawing a sharp distinction between the two, between the don't and the do. And again, by doing this, he's showing that all these don'ts, all these things he says not to do, are all things that come out of our our old sinful nature, our old selves. And all the things he says to do are things that flow out of our new nature, created after true righteousness and holiness. Right now that there are literally probably millions, if not billions of things Christ or not Paul could have said here. Millions of very specific commands he could have given about how to live out our new nature in Christ. Right, but he gives us gives us these ones here. And now let me ask you. Of all those things he lists right there, and again, that's only what, five, five or six specific commands concerning our actions, when he could have said millions, what specific things from that passage right there characterize our lives? Are our lives more characterized by those, by those actions of the old self that he describes in that passage? Or are the actions of our life characterized more by the actions of the new self that he describes, that he tells us to do? Or which one of those, as we read those commands, which one brings you the most conviction right now? Which one is the Spirit speaking to you saying, man, that's the one that I'm still living according to my old sinful nature. That's the one where I need to live out my new nature in Christ. Is it lying? Is it stealing? Anger, corrupting talk, bitterness, wrath, malice. And what area or areas do we need to, as believers, put on the new self and live newly? I can tell you, for me, that the one that gets me is the corrupting talk. Now, what exactly does Paul mean by that? Does he mean, like, no swear words, no this? I don't know exactly what he means, but I'm fairly confident that there are still times when I see corrupting talk come out of my mouth and I fail to actually speak that which only gives grace and builds up others. So take any of those commands there. Which of those things do we need to let the Holy Spirit come and let our new nature come out? And as I said a little bit ago, there are a million more specific commands Paul could have given us. A million more ways that we can actively live out our new nature in Christ. But he doesn't give us this. He only gives us those ones there, and that's it. Now, why doesn't he give us that? Because I think instead what he gives us is a very general guiding principle for living according to our new selves. Look at the beginning of chapter 5 now, verses 1 and 2 with me. Actually, just verse 1. After saying all these things, verses 17 through 24, saying... You've been made new, made new, therefore live new. Verses 25 through 32 gives very practical, tangible ways that we live according to our new nature. 
And now in 5.1, he says, Therefore, in light of what I've just said, brothers and sisters in Ephesus, the general guiding principle or command I'm giving you is to be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. This is the general overarching command that he gives us to live by as believers. Now notice the connection between verse 5-1 and 4-24. Look at both those verses now. Verse 24 tells us that our new nature, our new self, has been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So that we, that we said that through the Holy Spirit in us, we have the very nature of God in us. And now 5.1, he says, be an imitator of God. That we have his very nature in us after true righteousness and holiness. And having that new nature in us, we, ha- we should and have the power to be imitators of him, to be like him, to look at Christ as the example of our lives, see how he lived, and to follow that example. And through his spirit empowering us and enable- enabling us, he is actually making us like Christ, helping us to do this, making sure that this happens, ensuring that one day we will fully be conformed to the image of Christ once and for all. Uh, so the very general principle Paul gives in 5.1 to kind of end that whole thing is, therefore, brothers and sisters, be imitators of God, having his nature in you. And so even thinking about the million different commands Paul could have given us, In what areas of our life do we need to let our new nature come out? In what areas of our life do we need to stop living according to our old selves and letting the Spirit work through us to help us be imitators of God, to help us walk in true righteousness and holiness? One final thing I want to point out from 5.1. And worship team, you can go ahead and come forward as we close. The one more thing I want to point out from 5.1 is this. He says, be imitators of God. And what's the, what's the last thing he says there in 5.1? As beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. We imitate God... Because we have been made his children. And just like we said earlier, don't get the order wrong here. He doesn't say, imitate God so that you can become his children. Like we said, that's work salvation. He, imitate God, be like him, so that he will make you his child. That's not what he says. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. In other words, it's the exact opposite of this. It's God has made you his children. He has adopted you into his family as his son or his daughter through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, because he has adopted you into his family as a child, now live 
like a child of God. You've been made his child. Therefore, imitate your heavenly father. It's the same thing he said earlier. You've been made new. Therefore, live new. We've been made God's children by his grace. And just as earthly children share the nature of their earthly fathers and imitate their earthly fathers and become like them, as much as some of you may not want to admit that, it happens and that's just the way it works. In the same way, God, having made us his children through the gospel, tells us to now live as children of him and to be imitators of him, seeking to become more like him all the time, growing in true righteousness and holiness. And as we become like him, as we put on the new self, and as we live according to the new nature that we've been given, we will shine forth the glory of God to a watching world. We make God, our Heavenly Father, look glorious when we live according to his nature in us. And there's one final quote I want to put on the screen, screen for you. It's from Jonathan Edwards again. In this quote, he says that the soul of a saint receives light from the sun. That's S-U-N, as you can see. The soul of a saint receives light from the sun of righteousness in such a manner that its nature is changed and it becomes properly a luminous thing. Not only does the sun shine in the saints, but they also become little suns, partaking of the nature of the fountain of their light. Now, I know that's some older English, like from the 1700s. So let me just explain to you more what he's saying. He's comparing God to the sun. And saying, just think how the sun shines as light. Says God, as comparing him to the sun, says he shines his light into all true believers. And he shines his light into true believers in such a way that their very nature is changed. Their heart and their mind are changed and they are transformed. And we're changed so that we actually become like the sun itself. And what I love there is how he says the sun doesn't just shine into true believers to make them like him, but it then shines out of them. It makes us little suns shining out the glory of our Heavenly Father to a watching world. This is what God has done for us. He has made us new. Therefore, we are to live new. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You've been adopted as his child through the grace of God alone. And now, as his children, we are to be growing into Christ's likeness in every way. In our minds, in our hearts, and then in our daily lives. Pursuing Christ's likeness, becoming an imitator of our Heavenly Father. That's ultimately what we're after as individual Christians and as a church, as a body of Christ. So let's stand and pray as we continue to sing. Father in heaven, we 
come before you as our Heavenly Father. You know, and you've adopted us, made us your children through your Son. By your grace alone, you've made us your own. You've made us a new creation. You've freed us from condemnation, from the weight of sin and its debt. And you've given us a new nature, a new self, a new heart, a new mind. So, Father, help us here this morning to live new. Help us to see the new nature you've given us. Help us to live out of that. I pray that the new self, your spirit in us, uh, would dictate our actions, our lives. Help us to see the areas where we need to submit to our new nature rather than our old nature. Help us as individual Christians, as, as a church, to become little sons, shining forth your glory to this watching world that others might see our good deeds and glorify you in heaven. So, Father, as we sing here this morning, I pray that your spirit would be at work changing us, making us more like your son, convicting us of sin, helping us to live new. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.